0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Here we are with episode 11. Today's a big day, a big episode, as we actually, for the first time, have a couple of guests with us, some very knowledgeable guests that I'm proud to have on the show. Uh, but of course, you have myself, Tyler, and Prateek, your co-host as always. How are you doing today, Pratik?
1: I'm doing all right, Tyler. Um, so today's agenda, um, we're going to have five major topics. Um, first is going to be the post-election thoughts from our guests, Nick and Jay. Um, then we're going to discuss suited up in protests which are like lawsuits and the opinions about it then we're going to talk about the future of the republican and democratic party and how we and our guests feel or how optimistic we and our guests feel about the future of american politics then we're going to talk about where is the faith are people losing faith in the political slash voting systems etc and last we're going to have our responding to comments from saman's section we had a few comments about the antifa stuff so i'm going to Discuss my thoughts, and then we can talk more about it as well. So,
0: and moving forward, if you do have any questions or comments or want to reach us, please email backofthemob at gmail.com. We'll get your comment. You may be uh, featured on the show like we are doing today. Uh, but with that, let me introduce our two special guests of the day. We have uh, Jay. How's it going today, Jay? I'm
2: doing good. How about
0: you, Tyler? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well over here in Virginia. Uh, and Nick, Nick, our other special guest. How's it going today, Nick?
3: Hey, great to be here with both you and Pratik.
0: Great well, like I said, it's great to have you guys on, really excited to get a conversation with some different points of view. obviously, me and pratik are more right leaning i I suspect you guys are more left leaning so we'll see see how the conversation goes. but just to kick it off, uh, I'll go with you first jay uh so Jay, just going into the uh not going into the election just politically where would you where would you say you sat going to this election? would you call yourself
2: a leftist, a liberal a conservative? where would you uh, align best? I would say I am a conservative democrat or a moderate liberal whatever you want to go with
0: okay interesting so how would you how would you uh uh classify that what would would, so i mean
2: i would say my political ideology is definitely leans liberal but like i said i do tend to sway a little bit more moderate um you know a large part of that stems from my belief in incrementalism in government um and You know, but I do also call myself a conservative Democrat because I have voted Democrat in the past, but I would call myself more on the conservative spectrum um, in terms of my actual voting tendencies, even though they've been fairly one-sided to this point. I have Mm -hmm. voted Republican down ticket, um, you know, and uh, in a couple instances, but for the most part, pretty, uh, pretty normally I vote Democrat.
3: Okay, great. And uh, how about you, Nick? How do you align? Yeah, so... I would say I'm more of a liberal. Uh, Actually, up until 2016, I was a Republican. I actually voted in 2016 as a Republican in the primaries. Uh, And then after 2016, I took a hard look at myself and I decided to change and I switched teams. So I'm now more on the liberal side, the Democrat side of things.
0: Well, they say if you're not a liberal in your 20s, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative in your 30s, you have no brain. So... You you kind of went the opposite way. That's okay though. <laughs> well, it's really good to hear from you guys though. Um, so diving into the election, going into the election, were you were you uh were you heavily supporting either side, or was it very tepid support, uh, more against one side than the other? Uh, either of you guys, uh, Jay or Nick?
2: I could take it. I mean, you know, for me, uh, I. Definitely tended to uh, go into the election with some uh, preconceived notions about, you know, obviously the sitting president. Um, You know, I was definitely bordering um, a little bit, uh, especially early on um, in the presidency. I had come in with a lot of skepticism, but I tried to remain open minded Uh, by the time the election rolled around. I think myself and a lot of other people who voted Democrat knew well in advance who we would be voting for Um, so. I came in with pretty firm opinions before the actual election as to who I would vote for. And really, you know, it wasn't hard for me to pick to register with, as a Democrat for the primaries. So but but out of the Democratic primary candidates, would you have picked Joe Biden? No, I would not have personally and I would like to hear Nick's opinions on that as well, actually yeah. being the other fellow liberal here. Yeah, yeah well, for we'll, sure. We'll,
3: oh, yeah.
0: no, I go was ahead.
2: I was gonna say, I actually did like Biden.
3: I had a little bit of a flirtation with Bernie, um, but I'm a little bit of an energy wonk and looking at his plan for nationalizing electricity production, it just scared the crap out of me, to be honest. Um, I liked him on a lot of other fronts. And while I believe climate change is, you know, an important issue to address, uh, it just didn't seem the way to go about it. I'm a little afraid, I gotta say, uh, or cautious rather, of federal overreach. I would say part of liberalism or why I identify with it is you know, not liking too much vested authority in any one entity. And I guess, Jay, I'd actually agree with you about the incrementalism. I think if you push too hard too fast and just ran through legislation on a federal level, uh, there are a lot of risks that go along with that. And so Bernie's approach, while I certainly appreciated his passion and his dedication, um, I just felt a little bit more aligned on the centrist side of Biden's ticket.
1: What was your, who did you support Jay in the primary? Who was like your number one candidate?
2: So I'm, yeah, just kind of touching on what uh, Nick said. I, um, you know, if it was between Bernie and Joe, you know, I would have sided with Joe as well. Uh, For me, I really enjoyed hearing from some of the other candidates that we haven't heard from for the past 20 years, you know, it feels like now. And um you know, so with Amy Klobuchar was one of them that stood out to me, Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, Um, you know, Pete, actually, it was probably who I supported the most early on, you know, I'm bisexual. And to have that kind of representation at that level definitely was a sway for me, you know, um, just in the LGBT community, Um, in particular, somebody who, um, you know, really didn't make it at the Put it at the forefront of his campaign. His campaign was policy focused originally, so I would say you know, kind of emotionally, I like that. But if you'll notice, the candidates that I supported, and and Biden was in that short list as well as the people who I was honestly hoping for. Um, you know, they all tend to be a little bit more incrementalist, a little bit more moderate. Uh, they've spoken up, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, has spoken up in support of uh, some f- people across the aisle, you know, and really put an emphasis on bipartisanship uh, in their campaign. And that was what was really important to me when I was, you know, picking who I would vote for. Mm.
0: So so now we sit here a few weeks past the election that was supposed to have been decided. And obviously it hasn't been. Are you surprised with the outcome? Are you surprised Trump got as many votes as he did? Or Biden, uh, maybe you were surprised Biden got as many votes as he did. Were you surprised with the overall result of the election altogether? To either of you, again.
3: Yeah, so for me, I guess... Um, You know, if you, one of the people that I really liked in the primaries uh, was Andrew Yang. And I thought it was a little early for his message, you know, about automation, the fourth industrial revolution, all very important things. I think he was just 10 years too early. And if we look at who Biden is still sort of losing with, I think the Democrats kind of failed and have a lot of ground to gain with some of their more traditional base, which as a party, they frame themselves as being, you know, for the common working man. And I feel like they lost out a lot of those voters who identify a lot more with Trump, who says a sort of similar to what Clinton was saying in the 90's about a forgotten middle class, where Trump is like, "Hey, I'm your guy. I'm going to stand up for you. The Washington elites have, uh, you know, forgotten about you. They're putting the global interests ahead of yours. And I guess I guess that was sort of my takeaway was. I thought Biden was going to win. I thought it was going to be pretty close. I just didn't expect it to be this close, and I think it just shows, how much the Democrats, you know, as much, you know, good, good on them for getting the win. But uh, I think they have a lot to, of ground to gain uh, in the future, especially with the Senate and the House being so close when they expected a big blue wave.
1: Well, it's not 100% win yet December 14th <laughs> uh, the court yeah. trial, which they will determine based on the evidence that they have found, which we won't be available to us as regular common people that will be available to the courts. And then after which the states have to, uh, their state legislatures have to vote in support of who the people voted for in that state and declare that state to be for that person. So, I mean, it's it's still like a game that's gonna be played for a while and there's going to be more combats left and right before things are decided ultimately. And like with the evidence portion, there are potential fraud claims that will probably be discussed in the future but i just hope regardless that you we like you know changed up and reformed some of the system as it is today because there are a lot of questionable things that potentially did and did not happen so i don't know my two cents y'all can continue yeah
0: yeah sorry go ahead no i I was just going to segue a little bit with with all of what we're talking about the biggest fear i had going to this election I knew a very well, I knew it could be close. I thought Trump was going to win personally, but I knew it was going to be close. The biggest fear I had was that we would be undecided at this point, that Trump would not, even even though there is a chance he could win, it almost seems like if he loved his country as much as he loved his own ego, he would have, he would have, uh, he would have surrendered and said, you're right, you win. Because I- at this point, he's almost tearing apart any unity we have in America. He's Tyler, he's he's ripping it apart. And I think it's so so much more dangerous than simply having him in office over someone else.
1: Tyler, I really disagree with you on that, just from that context, because if you look at it the opposite way, if this was Joe Biden, that was I mean, if Donald Trump did win this election and Joe Biden and Donald Trump's vote was this close and all these states that are p- potential swing states would all be in question. In that same regard, the Democrat people would have fighted tooth and nail to try to get Biden to win. They would have done whatever they can to try to make sure that this stuff was further investigated, this stuff was looked at in more detail, and it wouldn't just be a few Trump people and, like, a few some of his supporters. It would be the entire Democratic Party pushing for it, and it would just be one of those mainstream issues that would be on the forefront everywhere. And I feel like the big issue with some things like conservatives leaving Fox News and, like, why people are like losing faith in our news media in general is because some of this stuff isn't covered and i feel like this was the flip side i feel bad for the republicans democrats at least fight for what they believe in they fought for it in 2016 if there was even a 5% chance that russia rigged the election we fought for they fought for it for four years they thought about it they argued about it they went through inve- different investigation committees they like put people on the spot they had trials where were the republicans In this whole scenario, like you have people that have literally won off the coattails of the Republican Party, like Mitt Romney, that they won because at one point people voted for Donald Trump and they were part of the, you know, Republican Party. Same with now, like you have people like Ben Sasse that are Republican senators that were really anti Donald Trump. But they didn't find some primary contestant to like, you know, get rid of him. If they did, that would have probably been a better way to go. At least you would have known what they believed in. But they literally went off the coattails of Trump and then they threw him under the bus after they won his election. So like my point is that with the Democrats, I, I give props to them. At least their party stands up for their candidates their party, their candidates, their senators, even people like AOC, regardless of whether AOC is like big pro Biden supporter or not, and we know she isn't, she's still like, if this was the flip side, she would have probably organized a protest in New York to try to, you know, like, you know, generate that amount of pomp to get people into the Biden side. So I just feel like the problem with this is that Republicans really gave up. And if there is, there's like certain things that happen, like there were like ballots that went missing. There were, um, you know, there was a lot more people that voted in some places that even live in that state. They had, they couldn't, wouldn't allow people inside the door to see how voting was taking place. Like you had people with that. This was the first election that took four days to count in most states. Like just the fact that we have all this stuff, means that there was something that may have happened and regardless of whether they did or not I mean more than likely biden won but my point is that at least with the democrats they would have fought about it with republicans they didn't and yeah, i but, guarantee you but at, at a years, certain point
0: it's an eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind so i mean we could just keep attacking each other and say if they did this then i have to do this but what kind of path does that lead Like what kind of path do we want to go on? The one where we're constantly attacking each other and get nowhere or where we go, hey, maybe for the sake of us all, we have to come together at this point. So it's, and I know you're like, it's surrendering, but I don't see it as a team game. I see it as, and I know it, it is a team, I guess it is a team game, but the way I see it is ultimately we all live in this country. We all want it to be better. It it only seems like it's harming us at this point.
1: My my point I, is though, like if you if we paint like Trump as an un-American that didn't concede because of his ego, if this was the flip side, I guarantee you Biden would not have conceded. But the conversation would have been different. That's my problem. Is that oh, but Biden wouldn't have conceded, that means that the news media would have been like, oh, we need to look into this election. And it needs to be. We need to recount it. I, I There's a lot of you. issues sure. that took place. And I feel like in the same context, because it's the Republican that this was happening to, it wasn't the same conversation because a lot of the media conglomerates are not on the side of the Republicans. Regardless I think, of what or whatever they believe, I don't care about the media. I'm you
3: know. Do you I'm really know. think? Do you genuinely believe? that the Republican political machine is in such bad shape and in such disarray that the Democrats finally outcompeted competed them for once and pulled a fast one? I, I find that hard to believe. Is that really what you think?
1: I think that a lot of these swing states that are in the upper Midwest were so close to call before the election even took place, and the polls were all saying something lopsided. Like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, in particular. Now, I can't say anything about Georgia. Maybe Biden did win in Georgia. I mean, I can't really combat that because Georgia's always been a red state, but many of these places that are your so called purple states that did have a lot of voter fraud potentials and they did have a lot of issues with them being able to count the vote in one day, I do think it needs to be further scrutinized. Regardless, like it could be Biden winning in those places. I don't care. I'm just saying that the fact that this was the first election that it took them so long to declare a state, mean, and then them finding more and more ballots as days went on, just makes it questionable, especially whenever, like with absentee ballots, for example, Nick, like generally, we've had absentee ballots for a long time. With absentee ballots, they usually get counted before the election date, and they're usually all there before the election takes place. Now with this, these like mail-in ballots, we we should have had a similar process as absentee ballots. Why are they treated differently? It's basically the same thing. It's just a little bit different. They're both being delivered by USPS for the most part. So like my point is that if that was the scenario with um, how things have been done in the past, we should have followed a similar precedent. And the fact that it took them so many days to count votes, like in Alaska, they were counting votes for like six days. There's only like 800,000 people that live in Alaska. <laughs> That's pretty like, funny. Like, my point is that if Alaska had all these issues in states like that, we really need to look in the voting system because, Dude, like, critique, they don't that. even
3: have roads in Alaska. Bro, <laughs> if you're going to pick any state, at least pick one with like solid infrastructure. Nah,
1: <laughs> like, it's like the dogs. It takes sled a while to fly. Going no, to no, the exactly. voting center.
3: I, I see Jay's been trying to
2: say a few things yeah I'm sorry
1: i'm done yeah I'm no done. i mean
2: i just wanted to touch on a couple points there i mean i just think a large portion of your argument is predicated on an if it's a if if it was the other way around if if this were to happen but what we i mean what we're seeing right now is what is happening so i mean frankly i just think that discounts you know some of what you're saying and maybe you're 100 percent correct but it doesn't matter because that is not what is happening or maybe it doesn't matter to the fullest extent of the argument that you're making. Another thing that I wanted to point out is that, I mean, that scrutiny that we're talking about right now, we got what you wanted. Uh, We saw it today in Georgia, we had an audit that was completed and certified with the same results. I mean, uh, like, I, I don't know if I necessarily disagree with you about the scrutiny of elections themselves, but I also think it's important to point out that, you know, when we scrutinized one of our, you know, states and looked at the election, we realized, oh, okay, well, there wasn't that much that happened there. It certainly wasn't enough to change anything in the ultimate outcome. So, I mean, I just wanted to bring that up when you're talking about scrutiny with elections. And I do think that Nick brought up a good point. Like, uh, do we really think this is the first time that this happened? I mean, you you really think that this is like, this was the one, I mean, this was the ultimate change that the Democrats finally pulled it off. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I have skepticism over that.
3: And just to add to that very quickly, before we turn it back to Pratik and Tyler, I um, wanted to say for you know Georgia, I can understand it's somewhat of a close race. Granted that the same person who actually certified those elections, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, he's a Republican and said that he was you know upset that Trump didn't win, but he still said, hey, I come from an engineering background and the numbers, they just don't lie. They certified the elections. And I wanted to say for Mich- Michigan, like, okay, I, I grant it. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's absolutely no margin of error for the vote counting process. I'm not going to say that like every single vote um, is 100% accurate. Now, I think the level of accuracy is very, very high um, because, you know, Michigan, 150,000 votes, really? I don't think that level of fraud would have been pulled off, especially when you look at, like let's take Florida, for example, in the 2000s. That was a margin of 500 votes that Bush won and beat Gore out by, that's only 500. This election, it's tens of thousands in these states. So I just think the margins for, you know, fraud and error, even if it does occur on a very small basis, they're just too big of a win for anything to happen. And sorry, Tyler, critique, feel oh. free.
0: I'm sorry, I, I just wanted to be clear, though. He didn't say Prateek didn't say he, uh, Trump won or lost like Georgia or Michigan or whatever. He, he just said like we don't know. Maybe there was something going wrong. And I and it's, you really it's hard to dispute that. But something that me and Prateek actually talked about before is how many elections have we had where we've just had voter fraud pretty rampant and we've just accepted the results. And we didn't uh, we we didn't audit every single state to see what the results were. It's just very interesting to me. Maybe there is something wrong with the entire system. That, that tells me maybe we need to develop a technology that manages the voting system, maybe like a blockchain sort of technology to actually help this thing work in the modern day. It just seems like it's it might be too easy to influence. I see I see why people are worried. I just don't know that fighting against it is going to help us as a country.
2: And, and honestly, I mean, that, that's one of the biggest questions in political science. I mean, ever since political science was a science, right? I mean, like, when you talk about that, how, how rampant has, uh, you know voter suppression or, you know, voter influence or, you know, election fraud really occurred in our country that that question has been researched over and over and over again. And, you know, Maybe may, maybe we want to discount those studies that we don't believe them, but historically we've found that it just really does not happen on a grand scale. Usually when it does happens is it's hand counting errors, which are just personal accidents. Humans are imperfect by nature. You know, It occasionally is going to happen that someone's gonna read something wrong. Or uh, if there is an issue, it's a tabulation issue. And it's usually, I mean, insignificant in the long run now. Like I said, you know, there's obviously, there's, that's been debated too. I mean, like that, you know, whether or not these studies are really legitimate, are there flaws in these studies? Like all those questions can be answered, but it's, it's not without effort. It's not like we haven't been looking, it's not like, you know, this huge voter fraud issue is just something that would have occurred in 2020. I mean, this has been researched time and time again and talked about by tons and tons of people just like us.
0: Mm-hmm. And so with that, I actually want to dive into maybe some of the polling aspects. Jay, you, you said you had some comments on the polling. Maybe maybe the, the polling methodology we're using is not as effective as it should be. Do you, do you have maybe see some way to improve that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I. Well, okay. Let, let me be careful. I don't know if I necessarily can come in and say I have a way to improve it. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of people that are working on ways to improve this, you know, sure. as we speak. And um, it's a, it's obviously polling is a work in progress. It's an imperfect science, and it is something that, um, you know, we need to continue to look at. Um, you know, what I, what I really found interesting was that, you know, general public sentiment towards the 2016 election polling, uh, you know, that was when you really started to see this like kind of outward public skepticism. Um, You know, I'm not saying that nobody ever questioned polls in the past, but it definitely became more popularized, especially with the rise of social media. And that topic was discussed a lot. Um, In 2016, you know, the, the, Actual polls were pretty darn close to the final result. Um, It's something kind of why I've been defending polling methodology to a certain extent in these last four years. They were, you know, nationally, they were 1.2 points off, you know, 1.2%. And, but this year it's looking like the polling error is double that, I mean, if not more. Uh, The polling error this year is actually looking quite a bit more significant than 2016, Um, you know, and uh, and I think that's important to talk about. you know, I have a couple of theories for why that might be but I do want to bring up, you know, I'm just kind of curious on you all's thoughts. I mean, does it feel like, you know, it, it, does it feel like this polling error is as monumental as 2016. Do we feel like it carries the same public sentiment. What do you all think.
1: So, um, you know, Jay is one of our avid viewers. So we've talked about this in the past, like I'm, I'm really anti how a lot of the polling situation goes, mainly because they are generally not that 100% correct in presidential elections. And my only thing about how the polling system is that we with all these scientists scientific people they do all this thesis stuff and they do all these inferences and they determine how states are going to vote and why they're going to vote where and how it's going to all take place but you always miss out on certain aspects of the voter population it's all you're only getting a certain like you know sample size it's the sample size that is going to go out of their way to go listen and you know answer a vote and answer a poll a poll like poll person Generally speaking, most people, when they see poll- pollsters calling and when they see some number that they don't know, they're not going to go answer it. and. And as somebody and I'm sure as you guys probably have too, at one point have been involved in the polling process and asking people what, how they feel about elections, whether it's on the ground through grassroots or whether it's by the phone, you're not going to be able to get 100 you know, percent accuracy on your questions when you ask like 15, 16 questions written by some other um, intelligence person that has the most scripted question on the planet. It's just one of those things. You can't really trust the system. You're trusting a lot of the people that are asking the questions and you're trusting a lot of the people that are asking the questions, how accurately they're putting stuff down on paper on what was said to those people. It's just a lot of blindfolded trust that you have. It's almost like the ballot counting system, but this is like even more like that. Like you're trusting too much of the system, which I feel like if if they're not right, as much if they're only right, 45%, 50%, that literally means that I can go out and try to predict how an election is going to go and just guess, and I might have a better chance of getting it right than one of these people without doing any scientific data collection altogether. I don't know.
2: I just. I just feel like that's an oversimplification, frankly. I mean, I don't think you're just trusting the people that are asking the questions or the questions that the way that they are written. You're also trusting the methodology that goes into it, the statistics. I mean, you're trusting the sampling methodology. You're trusting the weighting to account for those issues of what you're talking about, whether or not it's doing it properly. Uh, you're You're trusting the confidence intervals that they're setting. I mean, like, you know, I... I think that there is more that goes into polling than someone calling someone else on a phone and, you know, asking them, oh, I know there's more to it than that. It's not just we're reporting how many people did this, this and this. It's really where I think you're seeing more of the error and we could talk about some of, um, you know, my, my theories for why we saw some of this error is in the weighting that's going on afterwards. It's in the sampling that's going on. Um, and talk, kind of speaking to a little bit of an issue that you touched on with the demographics that, uh, you're reaching. And also you're seeing a massive shift in people's response rates. I mean, we, in 1997, people responded to polls at 36% rates, and now we're seeing it's down to 6%. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't think like, I, you know, I'm not saying none of your argument is valid, but I think it is oversimplified to just say, well, you know, I could call somebody up and, you know, ask the general public's opinion and then be able to report that. And all of a sudden I'm an accredited poll, you know, or, I, you know, I'm getting reported on as some kind of, you know, valuable insight into American democracy.
0: And what, what kind of person today really goes out and answers polls? Someone that's maybe politically active? I think really the sample, like the, the, group, it's, the groups you're targeting is the real issue. I don't think necessarily the questions they're asking is the only problem. I think you made a good point, Jay. I don't think the questions they're asking are the only problem. For me, it's more of if you're not reaching the, the voting base, how are you going to get a good idea of who's voting for who? You're just not. The margin of error is just simply going to be bigger. All right. And with that, I, I would like to just dive straight into um, the future of the Republican and Democratic does, parties. Does
1: Nick have any ideas about the poll stuff?
3: Oh, man. So not, not so much about the polling stuff. I okay. wanted to echo some of what I've heard just colloquially um, is that the polling for 2016 somewhat mirrored the national popular vote. But who cares about that? It's all about the Electoral College, baby. That's what it's all about. Which frankly, I love. Popular vote, get that out of here. I don't want any (laughs) of that crap, Um, which maybe isn't a very liberal thing to say, but I, oh, God, not a big fan of the popular vote. But as far as like methodologies, um, one thing I wanted to say, because it sounded like we were touching on two different things. One was we were talking about the integrity of the elections. And second, we were talking about the integrity of the polling. I certainly agree that there are a lot of issues with polling and how that ends up um, being carried out. Um, But for the integrity of the, the elections, I'm, I'm still a little torn. I, I know, of course, you know always, always trying to be skeptical. I always try to question everything. But when you have these multi-billion dollar political machines pouring tons of resources, energy, and just burning money on these big ticket uh, platforms, I can't see anyone falling asleep at the wheel at the very last night where Republican and Democrat observers are both in the room, watching like hawks while these people count the votes. I just can't see them falling asleep at the very last minute.
0: Prateek's going to say they weren't allowed to watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they weren't. No, that legitimate. that's legit. I saw it in his in, face. In some states like Nevada, where it is, is like being contested, there it is part of the lawsuit. They weren't allowed inside the rooms. So they were all, not allowed, allowing any observers from the Republican or Democratic Party inside the rooms to see what was going on. So the whole problem was is that you're trusting these ballot counters to do what was right. And I mean, regardless of whether they did or not, there's probably a chance that they did everything 100% correct. But my point is that because no one was overwashing it, that's the qu- question you have to look at. And we need to have a system, as you said, where you can have people overseeing how the ballot counting is taking place if we're still going to have ballots in four years.
3: I agree with you. That's a good point.
0: Good point. And with that, I guess we'll just move on to the next topic. Like I said, future Republican and Democratic parties. Um, what, what do you guys think of the direction of either party? Obviously, Trump had a huge influence on the Republican Party, completely changed the trajectory of where it's headed in the future. And the Democratic Party has been torn between the liberals, the super liberals and the, the more uh, moderate leftists. So are you guys optimistic for the future of the Democratic Party or the Re- Republican Party? Or do you think things are uh, going down bad road?
2: I can speak to the Democrat Party first. I mean, I'm I'm not optimistic, frankly. You know, and you know, I I, I think what we have seen is a rebuke in a, to some extent of Trump, but not of the Republican Party. Um, so if we want to say that this is a a team versus team game, which I you know a big part of the reason I call myself a moderate is because I strongly do believe in bipartisanship. Um, you know. If we want to play it that way, I would say that, you know, down the ticket, we saw a red wave. I mean, outside uh, President Trump, it was pretty clear that the Republican Party's ideology um, and the people that were they were putting forward were more popular, um, you know, and I think that that is a good sign for the Republican Party, depending on how they deal with this, uh, president Trump issue right now. You know, I mean, I, 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 think the Republican party is in a little bit more of a immediate, like, you know, you have a fork in the road, uh, type scenario. The Democrat party just seems to be, uh, sort of drowning from the same issues that we saw from four years ago. Um, and I, am not sure that this, even with the, uh, the Biden presidency presumed Biden presidency, according to critique, um, that, You know, uh, I think that it's not necessarily the sign that I was hoping for for the future of the Democrat Party.
0: Yeah, it seemed like they didn't really address the core issues that led to Trump being elected in the first place. So there was, like you said, a rebuke of Trump, but you didn't really, you didn't really find a central value system for Democrats to go. This is what makes me a Democrat, and that's going to be difficult moving forward. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on the Democratic Party?
3: uh, Before I give those thoughts, Tyler, since we were on the topic, I'm wondering what do you think. Were the main drivers of Trump getting elected, and do you think those are still in place today, such as immigration, uh, such as these big trade agreements? What do you think those main drivers are?
1: You want me to answer, I, it, Tyler?
3: I think the trade one's big, especially with the blue collar workers.
0: Mm. I, I think when Trump initially got elected, him being tough on crime, crime, terrorism was a big thing. Mm. I think immigration is always an issue people talk about. I mean, I don't think something like that just goes away. Sorry, Prateek.
1: I was saying that I think some of the main stuff with what Nick's asking is like the manufacturing sector was a major boost. He was able to get a lot of the upper Midwest and get a lot of support on that side of the country, mainly because of his like, you know, strong passion towards, you know, rebuilding that sector, rebuilding the coal mining sector, natural gas sector, all the things related to energy and boosting up you know, our domestic manufacturing sector altogether. And I think some of the other things that really made him stand out was that apart from from most Republicans, he was very bullish on China and he was pushing for this tariff, um, you you know, conversation with countries that are directly competing with us that don't have the same labor laws as we do. And I feel like the biggest driver that pushed people towards Trump over any other Republicans, if there are like Republicans that don't vote, which that is like a good portion of them, too, is that Trump fought back with a lot of the things that, you know, were thrown at him. And he he was more bullish on a lot of different issues that weren't really discussed in the past. And one of those things were immigration and, you know, like building up our American, you know, domestic sector in terms of manufacturing and, you know, just making sure that more things are made in America. But, but, that's, but, that, been but that's
0: been a big topic for a long time, like even with like George W. Bush. and
1: I feel like immigration's no, just see, been a... What, what I would say with immigration is that it's always a topic. And generally what always happens is like, I mean, even with Obama's administration, they had a lot of illegal immigrants that were sent back and deported and it was a big issue. Some of these like, you know, laws that were set in place, like the, you know, the stop and frisk laws or even like the laws where, you're like, was it the catch and release? And you also have your main laws about recently with separating families and stuff. Like, sure, it was, it happened in Trump stuff, but it also happened in Obama stuff. But what happened with the problem is that with Trump, he did initiate some changes that he wanted to do, whether that was the build a wall conversation or whatever, I mean, not much probably changed altogether, but just the conversation was more on the forefront. Usually immigration is a, discuss- is a discussed hot topic, but it doesn't really change people's votes on how they vote. It wasn't really a major enough issue. This has always been bad. I mean, and the main problem with immigration is that you have a lot of people that come here, um, you know, illegally overstaying their visas. And like, you know, they just end up staying here. And a lot of the big problem is that people that want to become citizens in this country have to go through such a long, you know, hassle before they're allowed to become citizens. So I don't know. All right. That was my thoughts, Nick. Sorry for, you know.
3: No, not at all. I well, on the one hand, for you were (laughs) saying reviving coal, I don't want to nitpick here, but more coal plants have shuttered under Trump than under President Obama, who was out to kill coal. That's That's number one. Number two, you're going to say immigration has always been an issue and it wasn't a big decider in 2016. Absolute bullshit, dude. That was the entire reason or one of the main reasons why Trump actually actually got out ahead of everyone in his party, including Jeb Bush, who he dumpstered. The Republican establishment crushed in 2016.
1: I I met in general with with Trump in 2016 and 2020. I wasn't signaling out just 2020. I was okay. meaning in the larger part in general because Nick was excited about that, dude. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah because look, I okay, saying, I'm, because... Not, I'm not disagreeing with you. That's why Trump won his primary is because of the immigration conversation. I was
2: but gonna say that's what say... I meant.
1: Is that that's why, like in 2016, that was one of the major drivers. In 2020 it was more about what he did in terms of fighting against law enforcement I mean, you know like you know being in favor of law enforcement and you know doing this stuff with the manufacturing sector and his policies with china that's all i was just trying to say
3: sure that's fair and i think um as far as the future of the party where does that leave you guys i'm looking like i'm thinking back what was the republican establishment like you know we're, we're looking i guess this is the most recent one is george w bush Who was his cabinet made up of? It was a bunch of neocons from the early 90s. There was a thing called the defense planning guidance where it was Cheney. It was a bunch of other people where they came into Bush's administration. And that was it. There was an intellectual part of the neoconservative wing that made up that presidency. And with Biden, we can see that there's actually a pretty big through line um, between 1985 with Clinton and the new Democrats going up to Biden today. You can actually see a lot of that platform. And Biden was actually part of that platform in the 80s. Um, so I I got to say, after this election, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, I think if Biden's in, it's he's just going to be four years, and that's it. I think we all know that. Um, but I mean, maybe not, who knows? But I really do think it'll be four years. And after that, I think, like, Tyler, earlier, you prefaced this by saying, uh, the moderate leftists. And I'm like, dude, Leftists are socialists, communists, whatever. They do not identify with the modern Democrat party. I mean, hell, Bernie Sanders, who's been a socialist for 40 years, for the longest time when he was in Congress as an independent, did not have good things to say about the Democratic party. And the only reason he ran on the Democrat ticket is because he was like, oh, it's a way to win. And honestly, he was like, I just don't want Trump to win. If he ran as a third party, there's no way in hell Biden would have won. Because the Democrats are split between that left base I agree and you. the more moderate liberals who I think are on the older end, who are on the old guard of things and the new guard um, is more of that leftist vision. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it gets a little bit more fractured over the years, but it's the same with the Republicans, that entire intellectual class that propped up that party. It's gone. Where are all the free market people? They went to go hide in their fucking caves in the hills. They're not in the <laughs> Trump presidency.
1: So, um, Nick, I wanted to ask you a question. So we talked about this in our last show, but my my always thought process has always been that I feel like the Democratic Party would have been better suited if they had Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders as their candidate, primarily because they represent the more younger, progressive, left-leaning side of the Democratic Party. And I when feel like that's of the future is. Young people don't matter. I know, but it, if you're t- going to, no, but if you're going to get you i mean I, one that was day, a joke by like, the way i know i know i feel like but one day like whenever you're able to make voting laws different where you're able to make it so that more people are able to vote maybe make election day a federal holiday maybe change some policies here and there to you know electronic voting maybe that's going to inspire more young people to vote in the future but my main focus is that the old wing democratic party is what joe biden is and my think thought process has always been that you need to have the progressives that are there, so people like AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, your people that are like your future of the Democratic Party, if they were there, I feel like your party would have looked a little bit different. So my question is, do you think that in the next four years after Joe Biden is done, if Joe Biden doesn't run run again for re-election, do you think they will take a more left you know, leaning stance, because I have a feeling Biden is not going to do that much in his presidency, mainly mainly because of, you know, the forces that are there, it being a divided government, etc, etc. Do you think is going to shift more towards a more left leaning political candidate like AOC in the next four years?
3: I, I can tell that
2: Jay has something to say here, so I'm going to let him speak. I do have thoughts on that. Jay, please. I just Zayas. wanted to express my strong disagreement with the argument that Prateek just made. I mean, I do not think that Biden is not representative of the Democrat or the, the left party or whatever you want to call the ideology, the liberal ideology. I mean, I think that is what social media propagates. I think that is what the media Wants people to think. Um, I think there is a general ownership of the fact that we see it in elections and we see it in you know media ratings and everything. That the more extreme views tend to uh, excite people more. They get people more emotional and more invested. But I just don't dis- I, I just don't agree with the fact that Biden doesn't represent the majority of Democrats. I mean I I would argue much more so on the basis that a lot more Democrats tend to be more moderate uh, than. You know, oh, what we
1: well, let me let me preface. I didn't mean to say that Democrats are not being represented. I'm not I'm not arguing that what I'm arguing is that there is a large wave of Democrats, your younger Democrats that are coming into the party, because eventually your older Republicans and your older Democrats will be gone. Right. So I'm talking about the future way of thinking. Both of these strategist people think long and hard on what they're going to do with the next four years and how they're going to, you, who they want to be in their party line. And they probably didn't think Biden from the forefront because they were, I mean, there was that conversation about Hillary Clinton and if she was left enough for the party at that time period. So my point is only asking that, do you think that that trend is going to occur or do you think that trend does not exist? That's all I'm asking
2: my my response to that and I'll let Nick answer because I know this question was directed towards him originally, but um, really quick my response to that is, I just don't know if I believe I mean yes gradually I think that is a natural, you know state of politics that parties might. tend to be polarizing over time, just gradually. But I also think that young people, it's been proven, have more radical ideas at first. And as people grow older, they tend to grow more moderate in their uh, ways that they think about finances and the ways that they think about politics and the ways that they, I mean, consume entertainment. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is necessarily a result of some like new wave of political thinking, or if it is, and, and it might be to an extent. But I also think it's accentuated by the fact that social media, which is what this polarization it was, it's built for this polarization, and it is built to encourage that. Uh, you know they went after the younger population successfully. And those are the people that they got integrated quickly. And the Obama campaign saw success with that. And I mean, I I think a lot of these more modern people that you talk about that tend to be more uh, hyper-liberal are really accentuate that effort in their media uh, and their entertainment and, and the ways that people are consuming it. So I don't know. I think that might just be a sociological trend as well as like a new political ideology. What
0: about something like the Green New Deal that was supported by someone like Biden, who you would call moderate, but I, it's very hard to call that some that plan moderate. It seems like he has to appeal to that base some some way.
3: Didn't he tried. say on the? Oh, sorry, didn't he say on the debate stage that he doesn't support the Green New Deal and that he supports a Biden? Energy policy, whatever that I, I may be. Know. I, I I'm, thought I'm he said so sure. he did.
0: I thought he said he supported it. At I least mean, at some point. I, he,
1: maybe one flipped, of the flipped, I have debates no idea. He said he did and one of the debates he said he did.
3: Biden never really framed himself as the big environmental champion on that stage. That was reserved for people like Bernie, like Elizabeth Warren, like other people who really were pushing more of a progressive environmental um, policy platform. Whereas Biden, he was one of the few people who said, He was in favor of natural gas, in favor of nuclear energy, which to any sort of leftist or big environmental person, that's a huge mark against him. The left does not like him for that. And in that regard, he was derided as being very centrist on those policies. Now, he's been pushed by his party to adopt some of those views to say, all right, We're going to, you know, support existing natural gas plants, but we're going to phase them out over time, or we're not going to allow any new drilling on federal lands for oil, that sort of stuff. He's been pushed into that. If you look at him in the very early debates, never once did he say we're going to ban fracking, whatever. He was pushed that way by the party. And I think in that regard, it's actually nice to see, because even though I don't necessarily agree with all of that, it's still good to know that political leaders at the top aren't so ideologically rigid in their stance. And they can listen to feedback from the voters, from other people in their party, and be driven more towards what the rest of the American people
2: believe. It's a recognition of the people like me who believe in reaching across the aisle and who believe in working and not necessarily going to the um, most extreme solution immediately. I mean, like Andrew Yang was his entire campaign was predicated on UBI and environmental change. And frankly, UBI because of environmental change and global warming and everything that's going on. So, I mean, you know, I, Biden had plenty of opportunity to bend to that and did not.
1: All right, so I'm gonna move on to the next topic if that's okay with you guys. Um, would love to so critique our-
3: That would be a treat, <laughs> that
1: would be a pleasure. <laughs> Okay, so the fourth topic is called where is the faith? So this is like a new segment it sounds kind of cool. So it's asking are people losing faith in the political and voting systems, etc So I wanted to preface four different topics and we just is not going to be long so you have the Dominion voting system which one few Republicans and some people are arguing about is that the election technology company was called Dominion Voting Systems. It comes from Venezuela and that's what was being used to count a lot of the voting ballots which people find to be a little bit more concerning but we've never really had much you know you know electronic technology used in voting then we also have this issue with the overvote which was a main problem in michigan with the lawsuit pending over there where there was a lot more people that were in their vote count than actually were in that actually send in ballots so they weren't they're going to look at that and then that same thing happened in Pennsylvania, where there were more ballots than people. He had 600,000 more people that ballots in Pennsylvania that weren't inspected and appeared the next day after the day of the vote. And, you know, Georgia's situation where they recently had 3,039 uncounted ballots in two counties before they called it for, for Biden today. So my question is, do you think that we need to change the system? Do we need to alter the way our voting system works? And do we need to potentially shift towards some different type of platform that isn't ballot counting towards a more of an electronic system? And do we need to shift away? What's your thoughts on the electoral college? I don't know. I'll just throw it, throw all those questions out, you know, just to hear y'all's thoughts. I'll start with Nick because he's on my screen.
3: I would love if you would start with Jay. He knows a lot more about this stuff than I do. I would defer to him.
2: Okay. So I just wanted to point out really quickly. I mean, before we even start to jump into the actual debate on the topics, the two last points that you brought up with the the overvote, uh, that's disputed right now. Um, hey, I'm just on controversies. So, okay, okay. So I'm not, I want- I'm
1: not I'm not crediting it or discrediting it. I'm just saying that. Those are the major controversial questions people. are As asking, far as
0: people right? having faith in the system, I do think it applies. Yeah, so yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. It, it it definitely does, and I mean, I think that's an intentional dissemination of dissent in the government and in the electoral process that we're seeing by the current campaign. I mean, I I I am not, frankly, convinced that the uh, this this crusade right now is necessarily even of belief that there's actually going to be uh, legal recourse or a legal pathway to winning but um you know it's it's clear that that is part of the intention of the current campaign right now i mean it's it it is it's something that's being argued and you know the what i'm sorry i forget the name of the person who spoke for um the mr trump's lawyer today um but no not not rudy giuliani i'm sorry um but one of one of the main representation of uh, President Trump in the campaign right now came out and claimed that there was a waterfall of evidence. Um, but every single uh, piece of evidence that has been displayed in Georgia and in Michigan, uh, as of right now, has been shot down by the judges that are hearing those cases. Immediately, there are ongoing suits. That that is true. Um, those we're not going to hear about until later. And you know, but like. It, it, you know, I, I think that kind of right now we're just kind of throwing shit and seeing what sticks, you know, and I think this has been something that we've been seeing uh, this not necessarily with the the discourse in you know whether or not the election votes were totally you know above board but i mean president trump has been talking about this for a while like this is like he he ramped up to this strategy like this this was definitely a strategy going into the campaign before um before he ever lost or won the election you know that was something that there's going to be fraud a big part of the campaign in 2016 was this like you know, dissent in government, this disability government is, uh, you know, here it's a swamp, it's here to suck your resources out. It's not the friend of the people. you know, and we could talk about the merits of that. You know, the, I, the a big reason why I support incrementalism is because I don't necessarily believe that government should dictate rapid change. I think that people should have gradual time to express their opinions. Like, I'm not a big fan of big government personally, but it is clear that the strategy right now is not necessarily just about this election. It's about spreading dissent and spreading, you know, this idea that, American government is not legitimate, you know, it is not fully 100% capable or, you know, above board. And I mean, President Trump's continual attacks on lifelong public servants, Republicans and Democrats alike, you know, who have never had any problems before this, I mean, it's just representative of that issue.
3: But Jay, they're the deep state.
2: I mean, and if there's some global conspiracy where George Soros is writing everybody checks under, you know, and I don't and the media is turning a blind eye to everything and they all have an agenda, you know, maybe I'm missing it, um, but so, that's that's that seems to be the explanation.
3: If it's going on, I would love my check George if you're listening.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I mean, what, what would you argue
1: though with some of those people, which I would probably argue is around 40% of our population, which would probably argue that with the current situation and state of things, you have a lot of politicians that are your bureaucratic, bureaucratic politicians. There's been even six-term, seven-term senators that haven't really had that much of a you know, record voting, haven't had the greatest voting records and haven't really stood by anything that they really believed in for that long period of a time. And they've all flip-flopped. So people like Patrick Leahy, for example, from Vermont, like you have people that have been there for six, seven terms. Chuck Grassley. Like they've been there for so long that to a certain extent, maybe things pushing for things like, you know, having term limits and pushing for things where you're getting people's voice heard instead of just having all these incumbents just sit in their position and be happy with everything regardless. That is a question mark that a lot of people do have. Like a lot of people don't trust the system, mainly because the system is so... I mean, I wouldn't want to say corrupt, but it is to some extent. And to some extent, it's also like if you're an incumbent, you're making all this money from all these different groups of people. And that's how your party is voting, because that's your donor base. And that's how things are going on. It's not like, oh, what does that one person from Vermont really believe about views for that state? It's about, oh, who are these major interests that are helping us fund, helping fund us, who are providing money into our pockets? And who should our party support? Because that's the people that we're going to continue getting funding from in the future. And for me, transparency
0: transparency is what solves that for me. It's like you wear your donors like 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 a NASCAR car. You wear the sponsorship. So when anyone sees you, they know where your interests lie. So where there's no confusion, like he'll say one thing and do another. It's like, why is he doing this? Oh, he was paid off by pharmaceutical companies. It would, it would be so much easier for the public to vote for people if they knew where their interests lie? So I, I really would support some kind of transparency in that regard, but I don't think we're going to get it. Well, I'm Tyler,
3: gonna... I think transparency sort of is there, and I think it is important. Um, but one thing I would say is, if you have transparency but no accountability, then what's the fucking point? Like, sure. we had, what was it? There were a couple of huge news stories from right when the pandemic was starting about these senators who were shorting stocks uh, yeah. and making a ton of money. And that's
0: legal for them. It's that, crazy. Was, that
3: was transparent. Crazy. That was out there. But is there any accountability? Is, that, is, is there anything going to happen to them? No, there's not. So I think accountability is uh, another thing to consider, I guess.
0: I literally think insider trading is legal for representatives. So, I mean, it's that's insane. that's just another problem, but that's just a fact.
1: So and, my my only ahead. question is mainly about what should should there be any change do y'all think that we should change up our system should we change up from the electoral college for example that's should yeah, that's we a good question. establish term limits for these senators and congress people should we make it so like i don't know this is a little bit out of whack but like install like some pledge of loyalty to your candidate to your like leadership in the party i don't know something crazy like that but yeah no i just want to hear y'all's thoughts like i i know no and everybody knows i'm not gonna like support having a candidate pledge of loyalty i feel like everybody should have their own individual opinions and that should be what's accounted for my main focus is the other two questions though it's like we talked about this in the past me and tyler but what are y'all's thoughts should we move away from an electoral college let's start with that let's
0: start with the electoral yeah so what do you guys
2: think yeah so for me you know I have, you know, and this is just kind of a personal moral belief and a philosophical belief. I do do have a little bit of an issue with the idea that one person's vote is not equal to one another's in this country. And that's just a fundamental fact, you know, of how our system is currently set in stone. I don't know that I have the best answer for an alternative for the Electoral College. But I will say that on paper, a popular vote... Deciding the highest law of land, you know, or the highest office in the land with, you know, state representation uh, not necessarily changing. So you are still providing, you know, I guess somewhat unequal powers to different states in the Senate and the House. That doesn't sound like a horrible alternative to me, um, just because of the fact that, you know, we're comparing. when you're voting for your state representative, that is a more localized election. That is, you know, you're not comparing apples to oranges when you're comparing Iowa to California. And, you know, it's just an inherent imbalance. And I struggle with that. Like, I've thought about that a lot. I don't know why in the heck anybody's vote should matter less if they're in California, like for that office, at least. Um, Nick, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: I mean, Jay, you're really making me think I, I haven't really thought about the um, fact. I mean, when you say it like, hey, one vote should be one vote, regardless of your background, regardless of whatever, everyone should be equal. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty democratic. That sounds pretty appealing. Um, but I'm sort of thinking, do people really see us as one land or is it, you know, a bunch of different states which own ha- each have their own interests and their own way of doing things? And I, I'm just not sure that, you know, I, while... I, I would hazard a guess and say, all of us here today would say, you know, we identify as being Americans. Um, I'm just not sure that, you know, people from Texas are going to necessarily agree with people from, you know, San Francisco on a given thing. And I, I think just having some system in place where, you know, for example, like if we have the popular vote, why the hell would anyone care about Nebraska? Why would anyone care about Hawaii? Why would anyone care about any of these smaller states? But and right now that,
0: that, that happens with certain states. They don't care about you because it's guaranteed anyway. So it's like with some people, their votes are just not going to matter as much based off where they live, I guess. Like yeah, yeah.
2: And, and I mean, my response to that would be that's what state government is for. I mean, the president is a federal office. We have governors, we have state laws, we have state jurisdictions that implement their own rulings and their own... I mean, you could talk about all the differences in the separation of power, you could talk about elected representatives to the Senate and to the House, like what I referenced earlier. I mean, the president is a federal office. And, you know, I I, I just, I think there are a lot of arguments to be made against, my, you know, my idea necessarily of the popular vote. And I thought you brought up a really good one with Nebraska. Um, you know, why would the president ever worry about the interests of Nebraska? I mean, I think that's an issue with it. I just don't know if I buy the, the state government you know like we we have state governments those are already independent i we already operate as 50 independent jurisdictions but the president is federal and that's i mean I, that's just how i see but, it but jay i
1: want to ask you a question with that though do you i feel like
2: a lot of people in our country
1: vote in general elections for all these state legislatures like people that will go vote usually there's like there's a higher person there's some people that vote in midterms but there's like three times as many people that vote during the general election. And when the general election happens, they're voting because of the presidential candidate that's running for office, whether they like Trump or whether they support the Republican party, whether they like Biden or support the democratic party. So then they usually 95% of the people in our country vote straight party line. So if you vote Republican for Donald Trump, then you're gonna vote for Republicans everywhere else. You're not going, and, and there might be some people here and there that really like somebody that's in the state legislature, and they want to keep them there because they got some personal connection. But generally, that personal connection doesn't really exist with everybody. Like there are some people like that, but you, most of us don't even know who's our mayor. But no matter this like, election, kind of no matter that? how politically involved we are. Doesn't what? the election we just have kind of counter that a little bit? No, it does. I mean, it does to some extent, but it also doesn't. Because with, um, you know, with state legislators in particular, like, there's not many, many of us that know exactly what our state legislators are, what's, what they're doing in their state offices. Like, we do because we're political people, but your regular average everyday common citizen, Probably does not know who a state representative is, and probably does not know who his mayor is. But they know who their Repu- who their president is, and they know whether they voted for him or her or not. And if they're Republican, then they just like believe that the Republicans are doing what they feel is right. And same as if they're a Democrat. I don't know if that like bond exists with people. It's like I don't really know how much influence that a state government election really has on making people go out and vote i really feel that people will vote for governors and they'll vote for presidents and they'll vote for your senators and they'll vote for your rep like that's it you're not going to go out of your way to think about all your state legislatures and your commissioners and your department of agriculture people you that's not doesn't come in your mindset but critique
3: don't don't you love local government isn't that your whole thing
1: dude i love local government i think that everything should be trickled down into local government so that local government actually makes a difference in our country but it doesn't the problem with local government is that you have so much barriers there for local government to really have any actual power whatsoever like if you think about it the state government has so much control over everything local governments do And the only person that's really that important in the state government is the governor, because that's the only person most people that are constituents even know. Now you look at the federal side of things, knowing they have the federal government trying to control what state governments are doing. And obviously that's where most of the question happens. I mean, it's a mixed bag, but generally speaking, the federal government has more control over the minds of the people than the state government does just because people know who their federal rep is they may not know who their state senators so like i don't know i agree with the i think everything should be trickled down locally and you need to make policies to make that happen but our system is not there yet we need to change stuff to make that happen but most of us don't know who our mayor is we don't know who we can't name more than one city council member like You can't really believe that everything that's going on with the whole election system is literally separated with state governments, local governments, and federal government, because most of us regular people don't know what any of our state governments and local governments are doing, but we can read a President Trump tweet and know what's
2: going on. I mean, I think your argument is The argument you've essentially made is that the most important person is the person that the most people know. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because a lot of people know Tons of people that aren't necessarily that important, you know, I, I I think that you're we're underestimating the roles of House representatives that we don't understand uh, their abilities to lock up legislation and not push it forward. We're underestimating the ability of the Senate president to override the governor and you know whatever state you're coming from you're where we're,
1: federal government Jay.
2: No, 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 you know, where the Senate president, I meant the state Senate president uh, override the governor's ruling. And I mean, that that's happening in my state currently and it happens weekly. I mean, it's these, it's, you know, I I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that the most important person is, I, I, I think that is a little bit of a cynical view on the powers of local and state governments, you know um, but I also, you know, I just wanted to bring up that I don't know if my system. I do believe that what Pratik was referencing earlier is an issue. I don't agree. I think he said 95%. I don't think it's that high, but it's definitely it is an issue. And I thought Tyler brought up a good point that this election is a perfect example of an 8%, right, 8% deficit between the actual top of the ticket versus the bottom of the ticket. So you know we're seeing discrepancy um, in terms of people not necessarily always voting down the ticket, but it is generalized that way. And if we were to implement a system kind of like what I was proposing earlier and which the the president was not a part of the electoral system and the votes were not allocated by the states and the votes were not on the state ballot, that might be less of an issue that we're seeing. We might, I'm not, I can't promise it, but we might see more investment in state elections of people actually reading up at the people just because there's not a presidential person on the top of the ticket that is always the person that's gonna be the most discussed. And it could even be two on the same day and just two separate ballots. I mean, I, I don't know how simple it would have to be um, or like what that process would be but I do think that that is an issue and you know eventually it's going to be need to be explored I think.
1: Do you you think that if you had a popular vote system you'd be able to have an election in one day because the fact is that right now how it stands with we had the most amount of people vote in this election and you had states like Alaska that weren't able to count their votes in three four days along with like 10 other states so and what where they counted California before the reporting even began, they already knew it was Democrat. So my question is, with the popular vote is that, do you think we have systems in place where we can legitimately be able to call a presidential election by single handed voting every single person in a matter of even four weeks? Or would it be like a month long process? To me, that's not the deciding factor, though.
0: I don't switch to a to the popular vote because like, I just don't see but that should as Because be? we're able to count all the that's votes now question, and I understand though. there's issues but they, that just assumes there's just massive voter fraud all over the place. And I, it's just an assumption that's, like I, I don't know it's hard to make because like there are examples but how widespread is it? I don't know. I don't
2: know. I, I, do I know I'm like? going to get lambasted probably for saying this because we hate this argument here in America but other nations do this in a day and they do it with, you know, the national popular vote. Um, you know, I, I think that it is completely feasible, frankly. I, I know that we're not like other nations, but I don't think that, I mean, if other people can do it, America, with all its resources, with all its GDP, with all the powers that be that rest in America and the, the global superpower that we are, you would think we could figure it out. I have faith in our system to figure that out if we really wanted to. But I agree with Tyler. I don't I don't really see that. I, 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 I see this as a much more like fundamental philosophical issue, more so yeah. than a like, can we implement this in four weeks or four days or three weeks or whatever the timeline is, you know?
1: You see, my thinking is, I feel it's more of a trustworthy issue. I feel like in the current system, with even ballot counting, we're blindly following whatever the people that are, you know, how they're deciding who, whose ballot went to what. Sure, now we have systems in place, and those systems are the ones that are being questioned right now. My think thought process is that if we can't trust, it ain't sure, as as we've talked about, like, this must have happened for years, like, for the last couple of elections, probably since the time of every democracy, they have had so much trust in the people counting these ballots, that they will do everything 100% correct, that there is not one single chance of fraud. And if there is, who's going to go question it? Because all back then, before we had all this technology and systems in place where where was transparency available because now we have the internet and all kinds of stuff like at one point before like the 2008 election like you were not able to really go into that much more detail than what you already knew and you just believed on whatever the media or whoever like reported the story to be factual you're like oh this is the many votes that was there so that has to be true who am i to question
0: but you agree that there has to be some kind of trust to get anything done right Yes. Like we need to come to some level where like, all right, this is acceptable because yeah. we, we see, can't do any better than question,
1: this. That's why I question the popular vote system. That's my point. Is okay. if the popular vote is going to take you a month to be able to count every single individual vote before any decision is made the fact that it will take you that long to be able to count that vote. Again, we've never had a popular vote system. So like, I don't know, most countries around the world, like apart from India, have smaller populations in the United States that operate as democratic countries. So my point is that if that is the system, can I really fully legitimately believe and trust the system. And if I can't, then should that be the new route we go, or should we just continue it the same way it has been, regardless of whether people believe it or not? We've tested it out for so many years. To, so. to
0: me, the problem exists regardless. So to me, like, like what Jay's saying, I don't think it's the biggest point, but I understand what you're saying. And Nick, did you have something quick to say? I just wanted to move us right, along to the last, no problem. I was I just going to agree as well.
3: I was going to agree as well. It's about trust. And I think, sadly, we're at a stage where You know, following those uh, dastardly Republicans with Nixon, uh, trust in government has just been eroding for decades. And, you know, whether it's voting or something else, I just think overall trust is something that needs to be addressed.
2: And, uh, you know, and and listen, you know, I I firmly believe that one of the Characteristics that makes America, uh, you know, one of the best countries in the world, is our right to question the government and our right to not trust the government, and that's what this government was founded upon. You know, it's it was a, upon public protest and you know all of that. But we're we're sitting here talking about oh well I don't know if we can trust a, a popular a vote system. Well, we can't trust a current system apparently. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here with you know according to um, what pratik cited earlier, forty percent of the american people don't have trust that this election was on board i don't know if it's really that many but i mean i i i just think that you know like nick said it's been ongoing you know this erosion and trust in government and i think what tyler was kind of alluding to earlier is exactly what we need to be talking about like if we can't if we can't at least like accept elections then what what the hell are we doing i mean yeah, like i mean exactly.
0: yeah yeah and uh, well said it was a good point but i just want to move, move us along to the viewer question because we've been on for a while now i don't want to keep us too long so pratik i you know you're you sorry
1: yeah so you want me to take the comment so we yeah. had our comments of the day section um it was from two people one of them is my close friends nick rishu not the nick that we have here and um another one of my friends mitesh patel So the question was about Antifa and how I looked at Antifa and whether I should be making the claims about Antifa that I did. So so in the last show, we had received a few comments about this and so I wanted to address it. So as I said, um, Republicans need to fight back against Democrats and at the time I was claiming that Antifa people were aligning with the Democrats. So first I'm going to backtrack on my statement the Democrats are the ones doing the riots and admit that I was wrong. before, Because after election day, various Democratic offices were set aflame and there was massive destruction which took place by Antifa because Biden won. So just like what happened in 2016 from Antifa when they burned down buildings and blew up cars when Trump won. So Tyler's claim was right and mine was wrong. Antifa is not Democrats who are anti-Trump. They're actually anarchists that are both anti-Republican and anti-Democrat. And they actually seem to be more in favor of breaking down the capitalist system to promote Marxism, borderline communism goals more so than anything else. They just want to see everything
0: burn. And it's a great opportunity for them to do it right now. That's why they're capitalizing.
1: So like, it's like, you know, with this thing. With Biden, there was much less rioting that took place. So maybe they like Biden a little bit more than Trump. I don't know. But at the same time, if you look at the Antifa movement in more detail, they've actually conducted a large majority of all their violent acts against Democratic governors and in Democratic cities, where most of the violence that has taken place has taken place in large, blue, big blue cities. So I just wanted to clear that up. I mean, cool. sure, I was wrong. I feel like I needed to look into this more, and it's more questionable than I thought. Antifa is more of a, it's like a borderline terrorist kind of group that they're just rioting and breaking down things just to show how angry they are about the system. They're not really aligned with any political ideology or political party, in per se. Sure, I mean, they're communists, so they're not probably fond of Donald Trump. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good for our system at all, and they're not really in favor of any political party. Just I, want to I, throw that out there. Yeah,
0: dude, I respect the fact that you're able to come out and say, "Hey, I was wrong about this. Fix it." I mean, that just shows an educated mind. So appreciate that. And thank you, thank you, uh, Jay and Nick. It's been an excellent conversation. I thought I think we've gotten a, a lot out of this. I hope our viewers really enjoy it. Uh, moving forward, maybe we'll have you guys on in the future. Who knows? As always, email backofthemob at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, want to be highlighted at the end of the show like we just did. And uh, again, thank you, Jay and Nick, for uh, appearing on the show today.
2: Thanks, guys.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, Tyler. And a uh, quick shout out. I actually have my own oh, political sorry. podcast, yeah. which I would love to have you guys on. Uh, Tyler, Pratik, and even Jay would, would love to have all you on. Uh, it's called even Fireside me. Politics. So, <laughs>
0: even,
3: even Jay?
1: What? what is it called, Nick?
3: uh it's called fireside politics and i would love to have you all on at some point where
1: can we find fireside politics it it is on
3: it is on spotify it is on itunes wherever you get your podcasts it'll be right there for you yeah fireside politics
0: i'll actually get a link to that so wherever i post my podcast it should be in the description as well fancy thank you so much tyler yeah no problem. thanks thanks this has been great guys appreciate
1: it great show